Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. In this episode we meet Anne-Marie Fleming, director of the feature film Window Horses. We are back after a, a bit of a hiatus. Welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. I'm Ben Mitchell, joined by Steve Henderson. Steve, how's it going? It's going really well, Ben. Thank you very much for asking. How are you? Wonderful. Full of uh, this and pinnega. <laughs> well, <laughs> good stuff, uh, I think. Are you recovered from the Manchester Animation Festival? Yes, yeah, uh, very well recovered. Just come back from a spa holiday, which mm. was very well needed. And uh, had a, a massage, and the woman after the woman afterwards, she gave the massage. And went, yeah, I did what I could, but flipping heck, you've got some knots in your back, which we just can't get rid of. And I'm thinking, well, one of them's the PhD, one of them's the festival, one of them's one chop. They all have little names and faces. <laughs> yeah, yeah, little angry little faces. Did you do that um, thing where the goldfish nibble at your toes? Well, not goldfish, no. but uh, toefish, whatever they are. <laughs> We can do it really cheaply with uh, with a with a like a, a washing up bowl and goldfish, but no, that's something that's that oddly disappeared. It was in every single shopping centre for about six months in two thousand and eight, <laughs> and then disappeared. They're probably all just pet stores that were going out of business and needed to find like one last ditch way of getting in some people. We can't afford to feed these fish anymore. What do fish like eating? I know bunions. <laughs> But no, thanks for asking. Yeah, the Manchester Animation Festival went incredibly well. Uh, if you're listening to this and you attended the festival, thank you very much uh, for coming. Um, thanks to everything you put in, Ben. You really put your back into it. You did the uh, the, the book uh, panel, which I thought went down really well. We had the squiggly screening. We had the quiz. It was uh, good fun, hopefully. By, oh, good fun had by all, hopefully. That certainly seemed to be the vibe I got. People seemed to be in pretty good spirits all around. Shall we, uh, I don't know, if you want to crack on with some news, Ben? Crack away! We, we've had a, a few weeks off, so uh, I'm going to fire the, the, the news gatling gun at you and see what see what hits you. Have you, se- <laughs> have you seen the new teaser trailer for Cars 3, Ben? I certainly have. And what did you make of it? I mean, it would be quite nice if he did die in the first reel. Just to teach everyone a lesson. And just the, the second two reels just be Mater crying. Just a film about grieving, directed by Lars von Trier. <laughs> hey, Lars von Tyre. Ah, very good. Yeah. That's yeah. what they'd have to do, obviously, because it's still the Cars universe. Yeah. <laughs> New character voiced by Charlotte Gainsbourg. <laughs> Carlotte Gainsbourg. Oh, there you go. There you go. Fun, fun for all the family. Do we know anything else about the premise of the film other than this uh, tantalising little teaser we've given? Given? I don't know. I mean, it, it does a roly-poly in it, and that, that's it. That's that's. <laughs> what else is uh, in the news that has piqued your interest? Well, it, it appears that Miyazaki's on his way back, which has also been uh, hitting headlines recently. But, is uh, he always on his way back? Well, this is the thing, isn't it? This is another thing we don't put on the site, because he will say that he's retired but he'll say it in Japanese, and apparently Japanese is a very ambiguous language. So he might be saying, oh, I'm taking a rest for a couple of years because I'm in my 70s. And then he'll come back and make a film, and then 
every corner of the animation industry in the West goes, oh, Miyazaki's back. He's given up on retirement. He's, you know, well, no, he was just having a rest. Yeah, it's a bit like when bands keep saying that they've retired and this is going to be the last show. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so every every bugger turns out to him, like Black Sabbath. They've, they've been retired for, for as long as I've been a Black Sabbath fan, I think since before I was even born. <laughs> and I saw one of the last ever Black Sabbath shows. They're still touring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> through to next year i'm sure we should have uh miyazaki retirement t-shirts with all the dates on the back like black Sabbath <laughs> like t-shirts other news as we're firing through the uh the, the, the news gatling gun playing catch up the uh the bafta children's awards uh winners have been announced and it's nice to see plenty of animation in there isn't it yeah i think it was at least like half the award winners were animation mm. projects not just for grown-ups anymore. No, no, no. Thank God the kids are allowed to get in on it. There's some, there's some good stuff in there that I'm sure uh, grown-ups can, can enjoy. <laughs> I mean, the amazing world of Gumball. I mean, that's a, even though it's shown on a kid's channel, it's very much a uh, you know a general audience kind of viewing, isn't it? Nice to see Zootropolitopia win. Um, yeah. <laughs> up against stiff competition from uh, The Good Dinosaur, uh, Jungle Book, and Star Wars. And of course, outside of the BAFTAs, the Oscars is uh, drawing closer, and we've got the short film contenders down to 10, it being that time of year. And uh, I guess it will. Will it be five or three in the end? It's going to be five, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So, some uh, really good films here that we've been given some love over the past year or so. Coincidence? Probably. Yeah. That wonderful film, Borrowed Time, which we discussed recently, <laughs> has made it there. Uh, that'll probably win, I guess. I remember us being really nice about that film. Ben, I'm <laughs> nice. We, we love that film now that it's got an Oscar nomination. No, nah, it's still it's still trippy nonsense. In terms of the uh, major kind of exposure films, I, I would say The Inner Workings was a pretty fun one. Yeah. You know, so that's one that uh, I wouldn't be crestfallen if that won, being the Disney film. Of the Disney films that have won in recent years, that was one I, I would take less of an issue with. Mm. Piper was pretty good. We, I mean, we, we talked very fondly about the technical element of that, and there were some good gags in that. Mm -hmm. But it does feel like it's an uneven playing field, I think. I think for me, more than not, there are films that more sort of accommodate my tastes, and then inevitably they tend to not actually make it through. Yes. But I thought Frank Dion's film was very, very good. Theodore Chev's film, Blind Vaisher, just doing really, really well. It's winning like everything left, right, and center at the moment. Mm -hmm. Maybe it will win the Oscar. But we'll see. And Jan Saska's film looks fantastic. I've not seen the full version yet. You know, and Pearl, Patrick Osborne, it's an interesting one because that's uh, more a VR experience mm -hmm. than a short film. It uh, kind of crosses that line there. I guess it's the non-interactive version of the film. Or maybe it's all part of the same category now. Yeah, they, they do versions of these VR experience films to be played on the on the cinema screen. I know uh, Rain or Shine, Felix Massey's Rain or Shine ended up at the as part of one of the McLaren Awards uh, nominees at this year's um, Edinburgh Festival. So there is we're still kind of in a sort of a transitional phase with VR. Who knows? Maybe it will get its own category if there's enough competition. Uh, in future years, you never know. Hmm. And how they would, uh, you know, quantify that as as viewing and 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 voting and judging and all that kind of stuff is another completely different question. But for now, I think uh, 
a story like Pearl is quite deservedly sat within the uh, shortlist of ten. Have you seen that pear cider and cigarettes film? No, I've only seen uh, a short bit of it. This is by um, Robert Valley, who does the Gorillaz uh, music videos and did the Beatles rock band and all this kind of stuff. Incredibly gritty and uh, musical and focused and all that sort of stuff that you'd expect. I really like the look of it. From the trailer, it looks absolutely awesome. Mm. All done in Photoshop as well. Yeah, you wouldn't think it. No. I mean, well, you can do everything in Photoshop, but... A lot of people tend to use other things for this sort of level of animation. Mm -hmm. So was it animated and composited in Photoshop as well? I think he used a little bit of After Effects. The cheat! I know, I know. (laughs) You can't have everything, Ben. Cutting every corner imaginable. (laughs) Photoshop and After Effects, what next? Cheating his way to the Oscars. (laughs) A Vimeo original, so they're doing their own content now. Mm. It's nice to see, isn't it? Getting on that bandwagon. Certainly, of all the outfits... Out there, I think that's one of the best sort of unions between short film and short film distribution. Certainly independent film. I do prefer a Vimeo link to a YouTube link. I don't know why. Maybe it's just a weird thing I have. Well, they're usually a bit crisper, and the comments tend to be a lot less, like, arbitrarily (laughs) racist. (laughs) Yes. It's always, this is nice work, rather than, I'm going to fuck your mother. Uh, Have you seen uh, Happy End, the Jan Saska film? Uh, no, I've not seen the... No, I've not seen it, but from the trailer, I got a good chuckle out of that run cycle right at the very end. Yeah. <laughs> it does look like a nice film. It There's one thing about this uh, shortlist, though. Five out of the ten are American. Mm. And not the best stuff, if I'm being brutally honest. I think there's room for... I mean, for all its cinematic achievements, borrow time, should it really be there? I think that kind of ties into the conversation we had about the, uh, what would you call it, hysteria? Yeah. Perhaps around something when it, it very, very suddenly performs exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. And for reasons that are kind of hard to pinpoint, has tapped into something, some hu- humanity that seemed a little bit sort of threadbare mm. when viewing it outside of the context of everyone saying, oh my god, this film is amazing. It was a perfectly fine film, it just seemed that there was this rather disproportionate reaction. But then I think there are other elements that I guess have to come into play that would have gone back a little further than when it really hit. So maybe, I mean, there's a lot of laurels here. So it certainly did its time on the festival circuit. So I guess it did go the sort of traditional route, become a qualifier, and then maybe at sort of like crunch time, that public enthusiasm for it kind of tipped it over the edge. Yeah. But yeah, it's not like it, it didn't exist before it went viral. Like, it's certainly done the rounds. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But when you, when you see it up against something like Once Upon a Line, which is a great use of animation uh, and a a more kind of, I suppose, really experimenting with animation, showing it in a more abstract light as opposed to just making a film uh, and experimenting with the sort of cowboy genre. Once Upon a Line does something completely different. We follow somebody's life through a very basic scribble, and it works incredibly well. Hmm. But maybe it's personal preference. Of course it's personal preference. It's the Oscars. (laughs) As we sort of found out a few years ago, the people who are going to be making the decisions are going to be looking at stuff like this, and they're going to see one that looks like a movie 
the kind of movie they see trailers for, and then they're going to see something done in pink scribbles and be like, well, what's this? Mm. That certainly seemed to be, like, from the feedback that uh, was released a little while ago, that seemed to be the case then. Yeah. So, Ben, given your uh, trademarked enthusiasm for the Oscars, as it's uh, as is well documented on this podcast, we've got ten here that are going to be whittled down to five. Which five? That I would like to see? Yes, which you would like to see. I think my favourite of all of them would be the head vanishes. Mm-hmm. From the looks of them, I like. I, I I can't really comment authoritatively from having not seen the full films, but I do like the look of Once Upon a Line and Happy End, Blind Vaisha, and we could give Disney a break and give them Inner Workings. Nah, actually, I'm going to scratch that. Inner Workings was fun, but I don't know if it's Oscar winner fun. Yeah, one I'm quite intrigued by which i know is also doing very well is uh, uh under your fingers which also looks rather splendid and i know it's been getting some awards and stuff the trailer doesn't really give much away except for its style mm. but i do quite like the style i love the very sort of textural watercolory look to it but as with uh, as with feature films trailers can often be misleading so if i'm going on like look alone i would say i probably that one would just about inch out in the workings. So those would be my sort of picks would be, uh, well, the top three would be Head Vanishes, Blind Vaisha, and yeah, I'd say Jan Saskia's film. Yeah. We can look back on this in the future and see how wrong I was. <laughs> well, you've put more thought into it than most people who get the opportunity to vote on these things do. So congratulations, Ben. What would yours be? Uh, I can't really argue with you there. Um, I do. I would like to see the the two NF, NFB films getting certainly. It's a coin flip for me between Pearl and Piper. I think if I'm if it's between the let's call them the three sort of big ones, Pearl, Piper, uh, and uh, Inner Workings. Just because I I thoroughly enjoyed watching Inner Workings, I laughed my head off right the way through it. And I've, you've kind of got to remember that the Oscars has always been a commercial thing. From right from the start, it was always, you know, comedy shorts and things like that that were up for the Academy Award. So I wouldn't be upset to see Inner Workings, uh, you know, get through uh, to the Academy Award. Borrowed Time is good, but is it um, is it good enough for for an Oscar? I mean, I don't like it that much, so which means that it will probably win. Um, I'm itching to see pear cider and cigarettes i think it looks really really good and the same with uh young uh, saska's film i didn't really give you much of an answer did it there ben i suppose i'm saying that um the head vanishes blind vaisha inner workings once upon a line and then it's a toss-up between happy end and pear cider and cigarettes we'll see how it goes our work here is done, Ben. Let the butterfly wing flutter, do its work <laughs> through cause and effect, and maybe we will, uh, maybe we will make some carriers or break some. <laughs> That's it for animation news. Nothing else has happened. Well, today, or rather, a few days ago, uh, when this podcast goes up, the late night work club returned. Now, for those of you who who don't remember, the late night work club was a collective of. Animators who got together on Twitter, working late at night, hence the name, 
instead of making films together, or rather making films on their own uh, with their own sort of teams and stuff, uh, with each other's sort of help and motivation and that kind of thing, and uh, put together a nearly 40-minute anthology of short films. It was called Ghost Stories, and it gave the world several really quite prominent short films of that particular year, Alex Griggs' Phantom Limb, for example, and various others that went on to perform very well. And it's a project that I talk about quite a bit in my uh, newly released book, Independent Animation, blah, 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 uh, out now from all good retailers, etc. Because it kind of perfectly encapsulates the theme of what it's all about, which is, you know, animators really taking the reins and making a film that is, you know, an undiluted vision made using their own resourcefulness. And those have very often been the best films that we see out there in festivals. Mm-hmm. So it's actually, I mean, they describe themselves as a rotating collective... Uh, As it turns out, only two people from the first batch of films has returned to make films for the second anthology. Uh, And also a third has done, like, the titles. The guy who did the titles uh, is Charles Hittner, who made a film called The Jump, which was in the previous anthology. He did, like, the opening and closing titles and these lovely little sort of graphical interstitial animation bits. So he's returned as well. The two who did films for the first one are Sean Buckaloo and Alex Gregg. Uh, Sean Buckaloo previously did a film called The American Dream. This time he's done a film called Love Streams, uh, which comes with its own companion cocktail. And uh, there's a cocktail recipe on his Vimeo channel. If you want to have a uh, a drinks night and watch the Late Night Work Club, you can make your own. Every animated film should come with a companion cocktail. I think so. But other people that uh, I'm sure people are familiar with that are on board with this collection, uh, Kirsten Lepore. Mm. who's been on this very podcast. Uh, She's made some amazing films like Bottle and Move Mountain. She's made a film which is uh, quite near the end. The guy who does the voice for that, she collaborated with on a film called Story from North America, which uh, was wonderful. Fantastic. And so it's great to see them together again, this guy called Garrett Davis. That was the uh, acoustic music video. Yeah. That uh, he actually, I think he did most of that in terms of division of labor. I think that was more his animation, and she kind of helped out with it. But it's generally attributed as being a film of hers because she put it up on her channel. Mm. But uh, I mean, they both worked on it, but I think that was more kind of his. He did a follow up actually called Story from South America, which um, didn't have quite that she wasn't involved in that one, and for various reasons that uh, he also discusses in the book, um, didn't quite have the same like feel to it and that was basically because it wasn't done independently and sometimes an idea like that really needs to be done like on paper in scratchy pencils to really work Mm -hmm. you know um so that was something kind of interesting anyway it's great to see them working together again uh other films by jeanette bonds loop blaster caleb wood i guess his would be the most abstract in the sense that and the most that kind of uh, embrace the theme of the films, which is strangers in a kind of literal sense, actually seem to be made by a bunch of strangers uh, in a way that I'm not going to try and describe. I think you'd kind of have to watch it to to see what he did there. It's called Anonymation. We see how it how it was described, how it was made. It was using a thing called Doodle Two, wasn't it? A uh, an online drawing tool chat room thing where people logged in and and added a little bit frame by frame, and then you end up with this kind of Stream of multiple consciousnesses. Has to be seen to be believed. Uh-huh. And uh, Nicholas Maynard, who did Loop Ring, Chop Drink, uh, has done a film called Wednesday with Goddard, 
which uh, I saw, I think it premiered at Encounters. I played it at the math screening uh, the other week. To much enthusiasm, that was a big hit. And uh, I've, I think I've seen this film like six times already, and I, it tickles me every time. Mm. Yeah, it's very, it's kind of like, it's a bit George Dunning in places, some of the design stuff. And yet there's also these very lovely kind of graphical pencil drawings done by another chap. So that's an interesting kind of juxtaposition of, you know, very stark design style for the characters and the backgrounds uh, or the environments by and large are these very elaborately rendered uh, illustrations. It reminded me a little bit of uh, uh, René LaRue's Fantastic Planet. Mm-hmm. I, I, can, I really get that sort of um, yellow submarine vibe as well with the, the way the characters are just odd. <laughs> it's like the sea of oddness. Yeah. The boots are very George Dunning. Especially, and like the the way the hands just sort of sprout out of each characters. The drawings are by Man Shen Lo. I just checked that. Very good, uh, very good artist. But. Doing it in four by three as well. Really yeah. uh, taking a choice and how it's presented, uh, which is just as important as you know picking colors or you know picking character designs. I may be mistaken. I think it's actually one by one. Oh, really? It's, I think certainly it, it felt like it was a bit narrower than 4x3, but it felt like pointedly non, like sort of televisual or cinematic. Mm. It's interesting when they did, they did uh, Everything I Can See from Here, the film by The Line, uh, Sam and Bjorn, and they did that film in 916, mm-hmm. sort of to accommodate tablets and phones on, on some level, but also as a kind of interesting creative decision. That being the kind of aspect ratio du jour also, probably played a part and you see an awful lot of social media stuff at the moment videos are presented as squares rather than as either landscape or portrait Mm -hmm. so maybe that played a part as well we shall be hearing from various members of the late night work club team uh shortly so i'm sure we'll uh, we'll learn all sorts of wonderful things about it but in the meantime you can watch all of the films together grouped as one big video as well as the first anthology ghost stories uh on the late night work club website and vimeo page and uh, there'll be a few public screenings as well. I know that. There's going to be one in Australia and one in LA. But in the more immediate future, there's one, I think, tomorrow in London at Nettil 360. And Nicholas Maynard and Luke Blaster are going to be there uh, answering questions and stuff. So you could ask Nicholas yourself if you had any questions about uh, the making of his film. But still, visit Squiggly, because we're pretty good, too. Do that. <coughs> Anywho... That, I think, covers uh, some of the high points of animation news, I would say. And Cars 3 is coming, too. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. There's no more animation news. What, what, who's, who's the guest on this week's podcast? Well, I thought we would talk to uh, Anne-Marie Fleming, who uh, will be part of the London International Animation Festival's lineup uh, in the coming weeks. The London Festival starts this weekend, and it'll go through to the following weekend when Anne-Marie will be there with her film Window Horses. Mm. This is a film that's been doing rather well. It's a bit of an oddity for um, NFB output. They don't do animated feature films so much. And the kind of impression I I got was that their involvement kind of came a little bit later. It's more on the kind of like final touches and distribution side of things. But it is technically an NFB film. It's definitely a Canadian film. It's something that embraces an alter ego that Anne-Marie has kind of kept around for quite a long time, uh, and she'll elaborate on this in the interview, but she'd been in an accident, and while I think partially incapacitated, was 
kind of vicariously living through a fictional version of herself, who was this stick figure. And then that has become a part of most of the creative work that she does. She does little tiny animations and she does comic stuff and illustration stuff with this uh, stick girl character. And so the film is a bit meta in the sense that the character she's created is, intents and purposes, an actress in this film. Mm -hmm. And also she's not doing the voice in the film. Uh, I think usually she does the voice in this film. She got Sandra Oh to do it. Oh. Sandra Oh, who um, I, I, I was not a Grey's Anatomy fan, but I was rather partial to her performance in Sideways, mm. I have to say. So it was a nice sort of pairing. Sandra has been very supportive of the film and very big on promoting it. I've certainly seen. She was one of the producers as well. Yeah, I think that really kind of gave it a bit of a boost as far because I think that was it was partially crowdfunded as well, if I remember right. And yeah, it was on Indiegogo. Right. So you know, I think that that's it's good to have people in your corner that kind of that that care about what you do. I think what has come up quite a lot actually when we talk to animators who have gotten people who are like names to attach themselves to the film. They'll do it, but then they won't necessarily be, like, friends, or they won't be necessarily, like, tied in that much with the promotion of the film. And it doesn't seem that actually having a big name attached to an independent feature, for example, does a whole lot to bolster its visibility. Yeah. I know it's something that Bill Plimpton kind of lamented in one of his books was he had a pretty much an all-star cast for one of his films, and quite a lot of money went to securing them. And you watch the film and I'm like, well, I, I don't know if this needed to have Sarah Silverman play this character. Much as I adore her, she didn't necessarily bring much to it. In this case, it does seem that having someone like Sandra Oh, who obviously cares a lot about the project and obviously has a lot of personal investment in it, mm -hmm. has worked out very well. So the film's been doing the rounds. It played at Annecy. It also played at Fantoche and Toronto and Ottawa and uh, the Vancouver International Film Festival. It's been hitting a lot of the majors, certainly. Like I say, it's going to be playing in London very shortly. You know, I see it pop up quite a bit, winning awards here and there. So uh, shall we hear from her and uh, hear a little bit more about how this film came to be? Yeah. So yeah, this, uh, this film, I guess, the consistency with your previous work, you've been using this same character for many years, at least sort of visually. So yeah, what was like the origin of the Stick Girl character? And why, I guess, has, has she been with you for so long? Okay, well, the long story is, you know, I went back to art school to go into animation. And this after I'd already done a degree in literature. And I'd gone to quite a bit of trouble uh, to try and get myself back into school. And um, I was hit and run over by a couple of cars. And uh, um, I was quite damaged. And um, Everybody was trying to get me to quit school, go lie on a beach in Mexico, recover, you know, so that I would walk again. And uh, all I really wanted to do was, like, I'd, I'd sacrificed so much to get myself back into school. And it just meant so much for me to finish this uh, animation degree that I was trying to take. And so um, I just didn't have a lot of power. I was in a wheelchair and um, I would just come in for maybe a couple of hours a day. That was kind of the only strength I had. And so I created this little character, my little avatar, Stick Girl, who was just a gesture. And really, she represents all the power I had in my body at the time, you know. And I really do think that in the gesture, you really see the, um, 
you really see the human being, you really see the artist as much as in something that's very, you know, finished. And so she's been with me for almost 30 years now. And um, she's sort of my my better self. She's more open. She's more curious. She's more, you know, sanguine about things. Uh, she can she can speak to things that I can't, you know. And so uh, she's been on this long adventure with me all this time. And I guess with this film, you know, she's had a lot of life. She's got a, she's got an iPhone app. She's had like some um, mobisodes. She's done lots of short films. But um, for this film, I really, really wanted her message to be amplified and get out there in the world. And so that's why I approached Sandra Oh, who I've known for like for 20 years, and asked her if she would be a voice. And she loved the story, and she became much more involved in it and really helped get this film off the ground. But for me, super strange, because this is the first time. Probably more people will see this than all my work together, perhaps, uh, right? And it's not my voice, it's someone else's voice. And um, uh, so, and also she's got a name, she's had, never had a name before, you know, Rosie Ming, and I've made her half Chinese, I'm half Chinese, but also half Persian, which I'm not. So she's really acting, this is her first dramatic role, and she's being voiced by this, you know, incredible actress. And, uh, you know, I speak about her in the third person, but it really is kind of like a cognitive dissonance for me in some ways. Like, I'm really excited for her, you know, and she's drawn by other people too, right? Like, I have a team of animators, and so it's not my drawing and uh, it's uh, it's like three steps away from me now but uh, you know I'm really proud of her she's really made her way in the world that's excellent so previously had it been you doing the voice for other like outings I guess for the character yeah it's either been voiceover or she said the odd thing in a film she's been mainly just an observer you can tell by her actions you know rather than her voice Mm mm-hmm and you sort of you hinted just then about like the other sort of applications for the character and different forms of media. Is that something you're sort of hoping to continue to do with it? Oh yeah, I mean she's just so great to play with, you know. And um, she's been digital for for quite a few years now. I didn't expect that to happen, but she's just uh, she's just so easy to morph into different things. And um, you know because she is so simple. It's like an entry into more complex ideas because it's not intimidating. It just starts with, oh, well, we'll just put her over here. In fact, I was working on a, before this film, I was working on a project where she was um, exploring astrophysics through the eyes of a 14-year-old girl's diary because everybody loves Stick Girl. I mean, I actually am just able to present her and walk into a place and, and get people to talk to me about things because it is like speak to the hand. They're not even really like talking to me. They're relating mm-hmm. to her and mm-hmm. uh, she's so approachable, right? Mm-hmm. As to this version, the Rosie Ming character, does she have any particular sort of roots, like real life roots or artists or poets? Yes. I mean, everything in the story is true. I mean, it's not one person's story. It's it's things that I've lived through. It's people that I know. It's things that I've extrapolated. It's things that I've read. It's like my whole life is in this, even though it seems kind of strange. It happens in, you know, at a poetry festival in Iran, right? Um, and I have not been to Iran. <laughs> But uh, so why is it there? That's a long story. But I think that if we take Rosie through, well, you know, because you're a filmmaker, 
her experience in Iran at this international poetry festival is exactly what it's like to travel with your film, right? You go to all these countries, you're not a tourist, but uh, everybody wants to show you the best of the place, right? But you get kind of an inside view and you're surrounded by international artists and you're having these lofty conversations and it's just such a weird privilege, right? And um, it's very much how I remember as a young woman traveling around, ne never feeling like um, I should be there, you know, that little bit of, you know, how did I land up here with all these people and, and everybody being so kind, really, you know, wanting to um, show me the world. So that's not really a theme of the film. It's not nothing that I'm dealing with, but that, that very much was my entry into this world of, of poetry and uh, another culture, another country. Um, mm -hmm. That's not how I got to Iran, but that's probably the most personal thing. Uh, yeah. Hmm. And so what, what was the appeal of the arts culture of Iran as a sort of backdrop, I guess? This is a long story. So I'll try to go quickly. I was in, when I was in Annecy 19 years ago, it was, I was living in Germany. I was at an artist residency called Schloss Solitude outside of Stuttgart. You know, I was all alone. I was trying to learn another language. I was surrounded by, um, by artists from different countries. I just swooped up all of their stories. And, uh, and also, I learned a lot about Germany. I had to overcome a lot of negative thoughts that I had about the country because of my own family's experience during the war, blah, blah, blah. And I was hearing what it was like for Germans after the Second World War when they tried to travel, the German diaspora, right? Regardless of their background or, or their convictions or who they were. And I also saw that because of the war, There'd been so many families that had moved around, had come together, had split up. There was this, you know, cross-generational divide, you know, with language, with culture, with this, you know, story that nobody wanted to tell. I was introduced to the um, poetry of Rumi when I was there, oddly, because I was just so lonely. And I used to just read Rumi every day. And I found out that Rilke had uh, introduced... Uh, Rumi to Germany, you know, back in the day, and uh, and Germany was really the language of poetry and philosophy, and, and I came to really understand a little bit and love the language. And originally, this story started back then, and it was a German story. It was a father-son story, because that was what I was taking it from. It featured everybody I'd met in Germany, and uh, and it was about overcoming this chasm of, of culture, right? And... Uh, that sat there for many, many, many years. And then uh, when I came back to Vancouver and was uh, introduced through a friend of mine to the Iranian diaspora and learning more and more about that culture and that history, I thought if I, if I changed this from Germany after this, you know, like the, the Second World War and I changed it to, you know, the Islamic Revolution and talked about the Persian diaspora after that and also all of the hardships and secrets in that culture that I could make it contemporary. And also, even though it's so specific, to understand that this story happens again and again and again. And I wanted to, I thought, well, how am I going to make this? I have to make it more personal and I'll do it with Stickerel. I'll animate it and I will make me part of the story. I'll make Stickerel part of the story. And this is a way to just begin. 
it is talking about acceptance and tolerance through understanding through art, through poetry, right? So yeah, as far as like uh, visualizing the poetry, uh, from my understanding, it was a bunch of different artists who contributed some of the segments. Yeah. Was that always sort of the intention, like for it to have be a sort of collaboration, sort of embrace that side of things? Yeah. Excellent. And did you have any sort of direct say over which artists were involved? Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just an independent project, right? So I always knew that I was going to work with different artists and a lot of my films have been sort of collage where I've worked with different styles or different people. And so, yes, I um, I picked people based on, well, people I knew, their availability. <laughs> so uh-huh. They're all... They're all Canadian. It's you know, it's all Canadian artists and uh, people mm-hmm. that uh, whose work I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of really really nice sequences. It's an, uh, there's one in particular, the cow's poem. That's sort of going up. Isn't that crazy? That's Kunal Sen. So he's uh-huh. a Canadian South Asian filmmaker, and uh, you know I don't have a lot of money, and so I said it's going to be a very small section, and you know he said oh I'll do this in two weeks. You know I have two weeks, and uh, Six months later, and about fifty iterations later, I mean, he just went through this down this rabbit hole of um, of like an art explosion. It's so exciting, and that's the first bit of animation that was actually done for the film because he had to do something on his schedule, and and I had thought, <laughs> I had thought that I was going to do this stereoscopic. And so that's uh-huh. why that design is like that too, to take the most advantage of that technique. But after, you know, just putting our toe in, thought, oh my God, this is just <laughs> way too much work. Yeah. It's long. I mean, have you ever made a long film? Like? Uh, not, no, nothing more than like 15 minutes. Oh so. my God. Oh my God. I have to say that it was good not to know uh, because it everything just was so exponentially uh harder you know at and um i guess like stick girl i mean first it was just going to be me and kevin and arts council grant right but oh we'll just you know do 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 we'll just do it ourselves and i'll do rosie and you can like we're just going to have all blank backgrounds right we'll just props will show up if you need them there'll be no geography no just we'll keep it so simple so i think this is how we get into everything just saying oh it's going to be so easy and then it became more and more and more uh, complex as it needed to. Was it the Child of Holocaust survivors? Was that the first time you'd worked with Kevin? No. How uh, sort of long back does that go? Um, <laughs> we've worked together for probably about a dozen years now. Uh-huh. Um, he uh, made a large dust ball for me in a live action comedy called The French Guy. And uh-huh. uh, I was aware of his stuff. He came up, you know, I had a production company. Um, and he came by after art school, you know, looking for a job, and there was nothing for him at the time. But uh, I was just so struck by his design sensibility, and uh, he's a yeah, he's a really great collaborator to work with. And he's a filmmaker in his own right, but he's had so little time for that. So my wish really is that after this film, I don't get to work with him again because everybody else is going to want to, and 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 they're also going to go they're going to want to see his vision, you know, what he, I hope he gets to make his own films soon. Going back to the Child of Holocaust Survivors, was that the first time you'd worked with the NFB? Uh, Also no, but that Mm. was the first time that I was commissioned by the NFB, right? Right. 
So they asked me to come in and adapt Bernice Eisenstein's illustrated memoir, I Was a Child of Holocaust Survivors. And here's another thing I thought, oh my goodness, how can I do this? A, I'm a writer, I don't adapt to other people's work. B, I'm not Jewish, right? And this is like the seminal Jewish story, right, of the 20th century. Look, how do I take this on? And so it was really important for me to collaborate with the author. Um, so she does do the voiceover. I really, really, really needed her to approve and support the film project. So that, uh, that film, I think, was, um, was a success in that it was, it was true to the original, but it was its own thing at the same time. And so here, too, just talking about delving into cultures that are not my own, here I am again with the Iranian culture, I would say larger than the Persian culture because Iran is so many different cultures. But uh, although I wrote this on my own, I relied so much on so many people's inputs to keep me on the right track. And, and I just thought, you know, also hold my breath because it's such a responsibility to tell other people's stories, you know, stories that are not your own, uh, but to try to find the commonality in that. So um, that's true too. It's not like it's not like a love letter, but it's like it really wants to uh, to honor other cultures. There you go. That was Anne Marie Fleming, and you can check out more about the film at windowhorses.com, facebook.com/slash windowhorses for news and updates, that kind of thing. And Anne Marie's website herself is Sleepy Dog Films, and you can see. A lot of her other work, including the origins of Stick Girl and various other projects that she's had on the go. And uh, if you're at the London International Animation Festival, Window Horses will play, uh, will get its British premiere, in fact, on December 11th at four in the afternoon. So check it out. Uh, so for the last few months, whilst working on the on the festival and other bits and pieces, I've also been working with the Arts University Bournemouth on an exhibition which has recently launched. It's running from the 14th of November, uh, which is back in time, until the 14th of January uh, next year. And it's called Reanimating the Snowman. So it's basically uh, about the art and animation of the snowman and the snow dog. So we've dug through the archives and uh, stuck some of the nicer pieces up on the wall and to give a, a behind-the-scenes look at the animation process. We've also managed to get hold of some of the original storyboards, uh, drawings, and cells from the snowman. So uh, that's going on at the uh, the gallery at the Arts University of Bournemouth. So get yourselves down to that if you want. Is there a website? There certainly is, Ben, yes. So if you go on aub.ac.uk slash exhibition slash reanimating dash snowman. Wonderful stuff. And that will go until mid-January. Yeah, January the 14th. Excellent. Well, uh, it's a little light on the plugs front from this side. However, there are a couple of screenings from my film Clemen Throw coming up for the benefit of our Brazilian listeners, those of you who may have missed it when it played at Anima Mundi and are beside yourselves. Well, fear not, you could catch it again in Belo Rejoint at the Mumia Underground World Animation Festival. There will be two screenings. It's part of International Competition 8, and you can catch it December 4th, that's a Sunday at 4pm, at the Cine Humberto Maro. Also at 5pm on Wednesday, December 7th, there's a repeat screening at the Cine Sesc Palladium. And that's all for me, other than, of course, to remind everyone that my book, Independent Animation, Developing, Producing, and Distributing Your Animated Films, would make the perfect gift for that hard-to-buy animator in your life. And the holiday season is indeed just around the corner. 
after all. Failing that, you might want to swing by the website and check out uh, Christmas gift suggestions for animators put together by our marketing director, Aaron Wood. Some uh, some pretty nice items there for the creative soul in your life that you want to uh, give something special to this holiday season. Also, a quick roundup of bits and bobs that have gone up on Squiggly the last few weeks. If you haven't been uh, checking it out, you might want to swing by. We have an interview with Owen Duffy, who made the wonderful film The Missing Scarf. Uh, he has a new film called I Am Here, which is one to look out for. It is absolutely gobsmackingly gorgeous. Speaking of gobsmackingly gorgeous, we have a Q&A with Carney and Saul, music video directors who just did a rather tremendous animated music video for Katie Melia's new single. Diane Obomsawin talks about her Ottawa-winning film I Like Girls, and great fun it is too. We also hear a bit more from Annette Meliche, who we spoke with during Encounters. She has a more thorough interview about her film's Analysis Paralysis and The Kiosk. Math goers may have seen Analysis Paralysis at our squiggly screening the other week. You also catch up with Mary-José St-Pierre talking about her Oscar Peterson tribute Oscar. Jennifer Zeng talks about her Kingston student film Tough. And squiggly contributor Sophie Dutton meets Kent Osborne, the head writer, for a little show called Adventure Time. So lots of new interviews and features to check out. Of course, we've also got lots of news and lots of stuff to watch. If you haven't been catching up with the podcast, for goodness sake, you might want to check them out. We've recently heard from Rekha Bushi and Andrea Sakade wrapping up the Intimate Animation Podcast, not to mention a three-part series on the filmmakers of this year's edition of the Click Amsterdam Animation Festival. Lots and lots to check out. And to keep up to speed, make sure you don't miss out on all the new stuff we bring you. Follow us on Twitter at Squiggly facebook.com slash squiggly magazine and we're also on instagram at squiggly animation thanks as always for listening you can follow me ben mitchell at ben l mitchell on twitter and you can follow steve at mr underscore s underscore henderson and until episode 63 happy animating